This episode of She Explorers is brought to you by Peak Design. They design gear that lets creative, adventurous people follow their passions, and they bring all of their products to life through crowdfunding. Later in this episode, I talk again to Annie Nyborg, Head of Corporate Responsibility and Community at Peak Design. We talk about 1% for the planet and why Peak Design decided to donate 1% of their gross revenue to help environmental nonprofits. And as a thanks to She Explores listeners, Peak Design is offering 15% off with the code SHEEXPLORES. That's She Explores with no space. Details in our show notes and landing page. Learn more about Peak Design at www.peakdesign.com. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. When I circumnavigated Lake Michigan, I did that one first. No man had ever done this before. I became the first person to ever circumnavigate Lake Michigan in a surf ski. Mm. And so that was huge. And, you know, I'll always have that that distinction as being the first. And then I moved on to Lake Superior, and I became the first one on Lake Superior. So as I moved from lake to lake, my little goals changed. It's like, first I just want to get Lake Michigan done. And then I want to get Superior done. And then I want to get Huron done. And then I just wanted to get to Niagara Falls and walk my boat around Niagara Falls. How cool would that be? (laughs) And now I just want to get Lake Ontario done. So, you know, you just break it up into, into little goals, but ultimately I've done things that no one can ever take away from me. And I'm, I'm good with that. This is Tracy Lynn Martin, and she has a very big goal. Well, two very big goals. The first is to set the Guinness World Record for paddling the most consecutive miles in a surf ski kayak in a calendar year. Tracy is about 300 miles away from beating the current record of 3,822 miles. Her second big goal is to be the first person to circumnavigate all the Great Lakes in that kayak in 12 months. As you'll hear from Tracy, it's a race against time, but ultimately it's a race against weather. I think you'll notice from listening to Tracy that she is living and breathing her goals. When she's on the water, she paddles upwards of 30 miles a day. There are countless risks involved in her mission, including ice coming in, big waves, hypothermia, and all of that is enough to consume you. But I love that Tracy breaks up her big goals into little goals. It's a beautiful reminder of the attainability of what we set out to do of how daunting it might look at the start, but how manageable it is if you break it up. Another thing I noticed in talking with Tracy is that in certain ways, she has a clarity that I crave. To be honest, I don't normally gravitate towards record-setting stories, yet Tracy's has so many layers. She's a single mom, she's 50 years old, and she is paddling to raise awareness of rheumatoid arthritis, an incurable autoimmune disorder that she herself has. And while I think about her being a single mom, of her leaving her kids behind, I think that I have no idea if the man who set the current world record was a father at the time. It sometimes seems that it is mothers who are made to feel guilty for taking on big goals. But part of Tracy's story is what she's gained and what she's given up and how she feels about it all. When I jumped on with Tracy, she was sitting in a restaurant so she could catch Wi-Fi. It was the Wednesday after Thanksgiving, 
and her sister had surprised her with a plane ticket home to see her family and meet her first grandchild. So my sister got some money together for me and was able to get airfare. So I was able to fly home from Detroit to Kansas City. So I was able to go home and spend Uh some time with my kids and my daughter and my new granddaughter. And so it was really nice. Oh, that's wonderful. I wasn't planning on going home for Thanksgiving. So it was nice, but it was also hard then having to leave and come back. Yeah, yeah, because you've been on this journey for eight months so far, right? Yeah, almost nine, since March, since the first week of March. In certain ways, is it easier not to go home then? Um, you know, I think maybe it might have been easier if I had not have gone home, but I really needed to go home. I wanted to see my children. I wanted to see my granddaughter especially. Um, I wanted to, I haven't seen my daughter in almost a year. Uh-huh. I hadn't seen my two boys in four or five months. I really needed to go home. But again, it was a double-edged sword because it was so hard then to leave. And my youngest son started crying and asked me not to leave. And and because I went home for Thanksgiving, now I'm not going to be able to go home for Christmas. And that had been the original plan was to go home for Christmas. So... You know, I had to explain to him why I wasn't coming back home for Christmas, and he didn't really, he wasn't really too happy about it. But while I was there, I took them out and spent several days with them. We went out and got a tree and put the tree up and put lights on the tree and stuff, and I picked them up a few little gifts. Well, that sounds special to, to get to spend that time together. Yeah, it's just been really hard. I the first thing I noticed when I went home is how tall everyone had gotten. And, you know, my oldest son, Daniel, I mean, he just, he's so much taller than me now. And Noah has gotten taller and my nieces and nephews were all taller. And it just made me realize how long I've been gone. Yeah. And and do they have any understanding of what you're doing and, and why? Um, I don't really know about the nieces and nephews. They know I'm gone. They know I'm kayaking. My two boys were with me for five weeks over the summer when school was out, and they were with me when I completely circumnavigated Lake Michigan, and there was a group of people there, and we had like a small gathering, and people walked up to them and talked to them about how inspirational what I was doing was. So I think maybe they have a better appreciation because they were there when I finished Lake Michigan, Um, and I'm really thankful for that. Mm -hmm. But um, it's still hard for them. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Or actually, I can't because I guess my mom never did anything like that. But I was actually with my mom this morning and and talking to her about you. And, you know, she had a lot of questions, but she overall was just really impressed (laughs) by what you're doing. Thanks. When, When did you start endurance kayaking? Well, I guess probably 2008 when I signed up for my first kayak race. Prior to that, I just paddled for fun. And in 2008, I did my first kayak race, and I took first place in women's solo. Wow. So I sort of, when you're good at something, you just tend to keep doing it. And, you know, I hadn't really trained. It wasn't a very long race, but I then began training. And the harder I trained, the better I got, and the longer distances I was able to do. Hmm. 
the longest kayak race I've ever done was the Missouri 340. It's 340 miles across the entire state of Missouri on the Missouri River. And this race is unique because you paddle day and night without stopping. And I've taken first place in women's solo in that race twice. So I went 340 miles in 54 hours. Oh, my gosh. What do you think gives you an edge in in a competition like that? Well, you just... A lot of it is mental. I mean, definitely you have to train. You have to want it. Quitting, it cannot be an option because if it is an option, then you're going to quit because you find yourself out there and you're thinking, oh, my God, this is horrible. Why am I doing this? Because you hurt and you're tired. And so you have to start the race telling yourself quitting is not an option. Hmm. And you just have to really want it, I think, because there's so many reasons why you could stop if you didn't really want it, I think you would just stop. Yeah, what what hour on a, a 54-hour race, like what, what hour is the hardest? Probably the night of day two when you're getting into 48 hours, yeah. um, 45 hours, 48 hours. That's the hardest. It's very, very hard to keep your eyes open. You're out in the middle of the river. It's dark. There's no one else around. You have no one to talk to. And by now you're hallucinating, so now you're seeing things because you haven't slept. You're probably dehydrated at this point. So you're definitely hallucinating at this point. And so that's probably the the hardest time is at night on the second night. Yeah, yeah. And But then once you get towards the end, you can kind of see the light at the finish. Yeah, you mentally, you just tell yourself, I'm almost there, I'm going to push on. And the sun comes out and paddling in the sunlight definitely is much better than paddling at night it keeps you a little more alert and awake i think Mm. and it keeps the hallucinations maybe not at bay but at least and um (laughs) you're still hallucinating but at least it makes them less scary and you makes them realize that you're you are hallucinating that they're not real Mm. that's that's the trick when you start seeing things, you have to know that you're hallucinating. You can't think they're real because the minute you start thinking they're real, that's when you're in really big trouble. So so what might you see when hallucinating? Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, I've done the race nine years, and every year I've hallucinated something. You see flashes of light. You see I saw a UFO one night. I swore this UFO was following me and was, like, right there hovering over me. Um <laughs> Tracy went on to tell me about other hallucinations, the ground shaking, not knowing which way is forward. Re-listening to this tape, I have to repeat this. That's that's the trick. When you start seeing things, you have to know that you're hallucinating. You can't think they're real. Because the minute you start thinking they're real, that's when you're in really big trouble. I know Tracy is talking about visual hallucinations, but hearing that line broke my heart a little because I heard myself in it. I thought about the lies we tell ourselves, the anxiety and the repetitive, you can't do this thoughts, the this is too hard feelings. When we believe they're real, that's when we're in really big trouble. I know that part of what keeps me coming back to Tracy's story is that I so respect her mental strength, her ability to choose the hard path. So, so what kept you coming back to endurance races like that? 
With the endurance races, it's you always try to be better. You always try to do it faster. And there's always someone's someone else's time to try to beat. And the the gold standard on the Missouri 340, if you're like the elite of the elite, is that you're able to do it in under 50 hours. And the fastest I've ever done it is 54 hours. So um, I always keep going back to try to beat beat that time. Mm. I guess backing up a little bit, could could you tell me about your mom? Uh huh. My mom was a very important figure in my life. And in uh, 2015, in February, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Mm. And she had had colon cancer prior to that and, you know, had gone through the whole treatment and was considered to be in remission, had been in remission for many years. And then uh, she went in for her checkups, her yearly checkups, and then they found that she now had pancreatic cancer. So... With her advanced age, the decision was made by her physicians that really it wasn't a good thing to treat her with chemotherapy like they had with the colon cancer. So basically, we just, um, you know, she wanted to stay home and and she didn't want to go into hospice. And I took time off from work to help take care of her. I, uh, my sister was there, my daughter. So I had a lot of time on my hands and... Um, that's when I started researching the fact that no one had ever done all five of the Great Lakes before in the same year. It was just sort of like this project just to help pass time away. Hmm. And towards the end of her life, right before she passed away, she had regrets about things that she had never done in her life before. And she told me that if there was anything that I ever had wanted to do or that I wanted to do to um, not put it off and not to wait because you think you have all the time in the world and then you wake up one day and your time is up and you haven't done the things that you really wanted to because you thought you had all the time in the world so after she passed away we were um cleaning out her house and I had my notebook there that I'd taken all these notes on on this project when I mm. had all the spare time so I decided just to do it did, did you spend any time like on water with your mom no well when we were younger, like motorboats, my family, you know, we always liked going out to the lake. The Lake of the Ozarks is a huge lake in Missouri and Truman Lake. And so my father always had some type of motorboat or uh, some type of pontoon boat mm. or a cabin cruiser. So we always spent time down at the lake. But as far as kayaking, no. My, um, my parents did not like to kayak or to camp or any of that. In fact, the the joke of the family was that I was the black sheep and they must have misplaced me in the hospital with someone else <laughs> because really few people in my family enjoy the outdoors like I do or, you know, if they want to go for a boat ride, they want the boat to have an engine on it. <laughs> How did you get into having a love for the outdoors then? When I was about 10 or 11 years old, uh, one of my friends' family was going on a canoe trip down at the Ozarks uh, River trip, and my friend asked me if I wanted to go along, and I did, and I just absolutely fell in love with it. I fell in love with canoeing on the rivers and camping in a tent. It was the first time I'd ever been exposed to that, mm. and I just absolutely fell in love with it, and any chance that I got to go out into the woods back before... Our neighborhood had a lot of woods, and it was a small farming community hmm. back in the day. And so 
there was a lot of woods and I would go back there and just hike and spend time alone and I just really enjoyed it. Then as soon as I got my first job and turned 18 and moved out of my parents' house, I bought my first canoe and just always enjoyed going out on the rivers and out on the lakes. I'm glad that you got that kind of exposure as a kid because it sounds like it's changed the course of your life in certain ways, at least with this trip. (laughs) It has. There's just a peacefulness when you're out on the water and out in the woods that you really can't find anywhere else. You know, as far as spirituality goes, you feel closer to God. You feel closer to the world that you live in. And Mm. um, there's a peacefulness that you really can't you can't find anywhere else. At least I've never been able to find it anywhere else. Yeah. My conversation with Tracy continues after a word from our sponsor, Peak Design. I'm pleased to welcome back Annie Nyborg to the podcast. We chatted about Peak Design's involvement with 1% for the Planet. 1% for the Planet is a way for for-profit companies to give back to the environment. As Peak Design, we as a consumer product company inherently pollute the earth. So while we are still absolutely trying to minimize the the impact that we have, one way we thought we could help give back was by basically giving 1% of our revenue to grassroots environmental organizations that are fighting to protect the environment. And so 1% for the planet allows for us to do that. And for Peak Design, it's not just about minimizing their impact. It comes from a love for the places they recreate. Coming from a company of backpackers and climbers and kayakers, we love the outdoors and it's a place that we want to protect and have for our children. And so 1% for the Planet has been a perfect partner for us because they've helped us identify the organizations that are protecting these places. You can learn more about how Peak Design takes action for the planet at www.peakdesign.com. And as a thanks to She Explores listeners, Peak Design is offering 15% off with the code SHEEXPLORES. That's SHEEXPLORES with no space. Details in our show notes and landing page. Learn more about Peak Design at www.peakdesign.com. That's P-E-A-K design.com. I'm back with Tracy and she's telling me about where she's at with her big goals. So I have currently the first person to circumnavigate Lake Michigan in a surf ski. People have done it in kayaks and canoes, but no one had paddled a surf ski around these lakes before. I'm the first person to circumnavigate Lake Superior in a surf ski. I'm the first person to circumnavigate Lake Huron in a surf ski. I have done the south side of Lake Erie. I had to walk my boat around Niagara Falls because of the Guinness record. You can't transport your boat by car. You have to either paddle it or or, uh, walk it, portage it. Wow. So I'm now on Lake Ontario, and my goal is to circumnavigate Lake Ontario, go back um, around Niagara Falls, and then do the north side of Lake Erie. Guinness World Record is one calendar year. I need to paddle 3,850 miles before December 31st. So the Guinness is one calendar year. But just to circumnavigate the five Great Lakes, I actually have till March. Mm. Because that's when I started was March. That would be one one full year. Hmm. 
So will you be able to, to finish that mileage, do you think, before the end of the year? It's going to be tough because the weather, I keep having really bad weather days where the wind picks up and it's just been impossible to get out onto the water. If I had perfect weather, I could absolutely get this done really fast. I only have about 350 miles left mm. to have the world record, and, I'm, and I've got it. But the bad thing is that I've got shorter daylight hours now. Back during the summer, I was averaging about 30 miles a day. Now I'm down to about 20 miles a day. November and December has been really bad months as far as the wind is worse, the waves are worse, and it's harder to be able to get out onto the water to do 350 miles. I got about 40 some days hmm. and uh, it's going to, it's going to take the whole, whole time. So, so right now, do you kind of have that hour 48 feeling for, for you? I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I think, uh, the last time I calculated it out, I think it calculates out to be I need to be able to paddle 12 miles a day for the, like the next 30 days. With and I have a couple of days I could take off for bad weather. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if I had good weather, this wouldn't be an issue at all. But because the weather has been so bad and it's so hard to get out onto the lakes, it's going to it's going to be a, a challenge. Yeah. And, and I've read that you've had to be rescued before. I was rescued once in yeah. uh, March because of the ice, yeah. Oh. How do you call for help? Like, how do you know when you need to be rescued? Well, I had a marine radio with me and my cell phone, and mm-hmm. I was in touch with my ground crew. The issue with March was that the ice would break up a little bit and you could get out to the water and then in the evenings the wind was pushing the ice back to the shore and then it would solidify so then you weren't able to get back to the shore and we're talking like two and three miles of ice it wasn't like just jumping out of your boat and trying to it was really challenging and so I had been out paddling all day and my cell phone was down to like 8% power. Ooh. The battery on the marine radio was already dead because I'd been on the radio quite often. I contacted my ground crew and there was nowhere to pull off at because the ice had solidified. And the last thing I heard from my ground crew was that potentially there was a 18-mile paddle to the next town that I might have been able to have gotten off the water at. Wow. And so at the time I told them, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try because in my mind, I didn't have a choice. It was like, I had to get off the water in my mind. I, I really didn't have a choice. And as soon as I hung up from talking to my ground crew, they made the decision that I needed to be pulled off by a rescue boat. So they called the local authorities and had them bring out an airboat. Was, was it a relief to see the, the boat? Um, when I look back on it now, I'm very relieved, (laughs) but at the time I was, I felt very, um, disappointed and I felt like I'd failed. You know, I, 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 I felt like if they'd given me a little bit more time, maybe I could have made it. But now I look back on the entire situation with a different perspective, and I'm very thankful that my ground crew called and mm. had the boat come out to get me. Because if they had enough, I don't know if I'd be sitting here right now. Yeah, yeah. And now you've paddled so many miles since then. It helps you get perspective, too. It does. I mean, I've been out in some very unpredictable 
weather and some very unpredictable water. And it does, it gives you a different perspective. When I started in March, I was sort of like this little kid, <laughs> just jumping up and down and like, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go, <laughs> you know. And now I feel like I've aged 20 years in just eight months. And now I feel like I'm much more conservative in the decisions of when I go out. Back in March, I would go out in anything. And now it's like I'm much more conservative. I'm much more cautious. I'm much more aware of what's going on around me. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a wisdom that's come through yeah. that experience. I've lost some of that energy I had, but it's been replaced with a lot of wisdom. I wonder, you know, I wonder how you'll feel a year from now, yeah. d- depending on outcome, depending on, you know, what you're working on back to work like it's hard to imagine that when you're in this now right you know ultimately though my goal was to was to have an adventure and to test myself and to see if I'm as strong of a person as I always liked to think that I was (laughs) and I've done that and I've succeeded in that regards I have paddled some of the remote areas in North America without anyone out there with me and taking all my supplies with me on a tiny little boat that most people said you can't use to camp with and I've been able to prove them wrong. Mm -hmm. A surf ski is very narrow and the biggest complaint people had was that I couldn't carry the supplies I needed to be out in these remote areas and I was able to prove them wrong and I've been out in areas that very few people have ever seen and I was able to do it by myself. I, I have a certain amount of strength in me now that I'm aware of. And so in that regards, I would never regret this. I, even if I don't make the world record in miles, and even if I don't finish all five of the lakes before the ice moves in, because I won't paddle in the ice. If, mm. if the ice comes back in, I'm, I'm done. I'm not putting myself in that type of risk again. Yeah. But I have experienced stuff that very few people will ever experience in their lives and it's been amazing and I wouldn't give it up for anything. Are are there any highlights that come to mind when you when you say that? Um well there's some places I've seen that thousands of people have seen like the Apostle Islands on Lake Superior. It's the south shore of Lake Superior. It's very commercialized Lots of people, lots of kayakers will go out there and and paddle through the Apostle Islands. They have sea caves. You can actually paddle your kayak inside of these sea caves. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. I'd like to take my boys there one day. But then there's areas on the north shore of Lake Superior on the Canadian side, which is absolutely remote. And there was times I might have been out there for five, six days and never saw another human being human being as long as I was out there Mm. the wilderness out up there it is so beautiful sections that have dozens of islands and you're weaving in and out of the islands and you're not seeing another person and the sun's starting to go down you've got to find a place to camp and you have your choice of dozens of different (laughs) little tiny islands you put your tent up and watch the sunset and the stars come up and you're out there in this wilderness surrounded by water surrounded by stars totally alone the feeling is just you can't describe it it's it's just awe-inspiring oh it does sound really really nice yeah 
It sounds like the, the lake is your company. It is. It is. And sometimes some of the rock formations on Lake Superior, you can see faces in the rock formations. And <laughs> sometimes you get lonely and you just talk to the faces in the rock. <laughs> and they're not hallucinations. Right. No, I've taken some pictures and, and you can look at the pictures and say, oh yeah, that is a face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was one place, this was on Lake Huron, up around Georgian Bay, a little ways past Killarney, was a place called Mother Hen and Her Chickens. And it's one medium-sized island surrounded by hundreds of tiny little islands. And so the little islands were called the chickens, and then the bigger <laughs> one, more centralized, was called the Mother Hen. And then it's surrounded by shoals and reefs. So when the wind picked up, the water was just bursting up around all these little islands. And you're just weaving in and out of them, trying to find driftwood so you can have like a little fire and stuff. And it was just, it was breathtaking. Wow. Do, do you ever feel in those moments that you wish you had someone to share what you're seeing with? All the time. All the time I wished I had someone that I could share those moments with. That's probably my biggest regret of this entire trip is that I did have to do it by myself. And sometimes I preferred that. I liked being out there alone at times. I liked knowing that I had no one to depend upon but myself. But there were other times that I really wish I would have had someone to share these memories with. Mm. When, when you talk to people about this, do people ever tell you, like, I could never do that? Yeah, I've had a lot of people tell me that they could never do that. I've had I've had a lot of paddlers tell me that they wouldn't have had the endurance to just have gotten up every day and continued paddling day in and day out. I've had more women than men have told me they don't think they could have been out in the wilderness and camped by themselves. Usually the men are telling me they can't imagine getting up every day and just doing this day in and day out. <laughs> and the women are usually telling me they just don't think they could have camped by themselves out in the wilderness. The other thing, too, is I have rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. So I was trying to get the message out because everyone usually paddles for some type of cause. And the cause I wanted to bring awareness to is the fact that even with a chronic illness, you can do amazing things and to never stop living your life and never stop doing the things that you love. So a lot of my supporters, they do have some type of chronic illness. I've had people drive two, three, and four hours because they had a chronic illness and they really appreciated, I guess, or mm. it really inspired them what I was doing. So I've had them drive hours to come and see me and visit with me and to be able to hang out with me. And if someone is willing to do that, I always take the time to take some time off to hang out with them and mm. to talk to them. I can't imagine anything more flattering than someone wanting to drive to talk to you you know yeah that's it's incredible I mean what you're doing is really inspiring to other people what does rheumatoid arthritis feel like well it's an autoimmune disease and basically your immune system is attacking your joints and your tissues and it's causing inflammation so it basically feels like arthritis but it's caused by your own body's immune system. Mm -hmm. Usually everyone with rheumatoid arthritis has one particular area that hurts them the worst. For me, it's usually my feet and ankles and sometimes my hands. I'm a member of a support group for RA, and some people it's their back, some people it's their shoulders, some people it can be your jaw. 
But wow. then you have something called a, an RA flare. And when you have an RA flare, the disease process gets so out of control that you hurt everywhere. And it feels like you wake up and before you even open up your eyes, you're in pain. Wow. And it feels like someone has taken a baseball bat and just beaten the holy tar out of you and you can't move to move hurts to not move hurts and for me to try to put any weight on my feet to to get up and walk feels like someone has crushed my feet and ankles and I'm hobbling around it can be it can be a very devastating illness to have mm. the main thing is to find a good physician and find a medication regimen that works well for you that keeps the disease under control and has that been helpful for especially the last nine, ten months? Yeah, I'm on two medications. They're both injections. So I give myself um, a shot every week. I wouldn't have been able to have done this if I was not on my medications. I have had some flares. And when I do, I'll call my physician up and he'll order me some prednisone. Mm. And so then the prednisone helps to knock that down. But prednisone is a really devastating medication to take in and of its own. Yeah. Um, it can cause all sorts of really bad side effects. So um, you don't want to just, you know, you want to get off of it as soon as you can. So, so where are you headed tomorrow? Well, I'm up by the Welland Canal on Lake Ontario. So I'm planning on um, getting back onto the water tomorrow and seeing how far I can paddle west. I'm heading toward Hamilton and then around the tip of Ontario and up towards um, Toronto. So so what's your, your feeling right now? Like you said some of the excitement has dulled. Like what will your feeling be like in the morning when you when you get out on the water? Well, every time I get out onto the water, I always feel better. So usually when I wake up in the mornings, I'm just really tired now. I'm tired physically. I'm tired emotionally. So getting up and getting my dry suit on, and, and it's cold now, and the water's cold, and you have shorter daylight hours. So just getting up and getting out on the water has been hard. Mm -hmm. But then once I get out on the water, I feel better on the water. I mentally perk up. And I just enjoy being out on the water so much that I, I just feel better. So I, I have lost, when I said I've lost some of the excitement, I meant like when you're a little kid jumping up and down and yeah. dragging your, your parents to, to this or to that. You know, I've sort of lost some of that excitement. But when I'm out on the water and I have a good day, I feel wonderful out there. Mm. So I just have one more question for you. Uh -huh. um, do, you, do you think it's beneficial for people to create and set big goals for themselves? Well, I think it depends on the person, and I think it depends on what the goal is. Mm. I think everyone should have goals that they aspire towards, but you have to keep it within check. Like, I've got two really huge goals here. One is to be the first person to circumnavigate all five of the Great Lakes, and one is to set a new Guinness World Record. But... I break them up into little goals and little goals are much more manageable. So even if I fail, I'm not going to be devastated by this because I am taking so much out of it. And I think that's, that's the big thing that people should set goals, but uh, keep them within check. And um, I don't know, I guess, <laughs> I guess that's, that's my answer. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me, especially where, 
you know, you have two very big goals, but like you said, you have these smaller goals that you are achieving, you know, so you can look back on the achievements as well as all of those infinitesimally small moments that are so rewarding. Because um, when I circumnavigated Lake Michigan, I did that one first. Mm. And so that was huge. And, you know, I'll always have that, that distinction as being the first. And then I moved on to Lake Superior and I became the first one on Lake Superior. So as I moved from lake to lake, my little goals changed. It's like, first, I just want to get uh, Lake Michigan done. And then I want to get Superior done. And then I want to get Huron done. And then I just wanted to get to Niagara Falls and walk my boat around Niagara Falls. How cool would that be? <laughs> and now I just want to get Lake Ontario done. So, you know, you just break it up into into little goals. But ultimately, I've done things that no one can ever take away from me. And I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. Well, I'm so impressed because your little goal of Lake Ontario seems really big to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Well, it's the smallest lake of all of them, and so I just keep telling myself I can do it. I can do it. I think you can do it. But, um, <laughs> ultimately, the plan is to continue paddling um, until I finish or until the ice moves back in because I am not putting myself in that type of risk again. Mm. Yeah, it's really smart. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that I didn't ask that you, that you want to add? Um, I just want to add that I could not have done this by myself. This is not a one person job. I have a team of people who have all volunteered their time uh, to help me. I have a support driver. His name is Bill Noble. He has volunteered 10 months to drive my support truck to be there for me when I got off the water. I could not have done this without him. Mm -hmm. I have people that I've never even met that emailed me and said I heard about what you're doing how can I help you this one individual his name is Tab McBain he keeps track of my, all my documentation for spot and all the documentation I need for Guinness I've never even met this man but hmm. he's just helping there's another individual from Philadelphia his name is uh, Scott Edwards he offered to help and he's basically my project manager now and Marv from Port Austin, he's come up and he's helped fix my boat. I've had so many holes in my boat from hitting rocks. It's just it's just one big patch now. Just the number of people who have opened their homes up to me and have offered me a hot shower or a hot meal. People that have just popped up out of nowhere and had like a cup of hot coffee from a convenience store because they were following me on spot. With my spot, you can always tell where I'm at. Mm. So if I'm paddling in their area, I've had people just show up at boat ramps. <laughs> and they're like, hey, I've been following you. This is really cool. And they'll have like a hot cup of coffee for me or something. It's people like that that I want to make sure are acknowledged because I couldn't do this without them. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so wonderful. I feel like you get to be reminded of the generosity of, of strangers. Right. It just reinforces your faith in just humanity. Mm. You know, there's so much negative publicity now, now in the news that it's really hard to stomach a lot of the news that's out there now. But um, and sometimes you forget just how wonderful and generous people are and how wonderful strangers can be. Thank you so much to Tracy Lynn Martin for using her precious free time to talk with me. You can learn more about her 
and follow along on her journey via www.justaroundthepoint.com. That's point with an E. We'll also make sure to include links to her website and social media on our landing page and show notes. Thanks to our sponsor, Peak Design. You can get 15% off at peakdesign.com using the code SHEEXPLORES at checkout. Music is by Lee Rosevere, Portrayal, and PC1. Next week, I'll be sharing my trip to Torres del Paine National Park in Patagonia with the Torres del Paine Legacy Fund. Until next week, bye.